Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills, and the nation is in the crapper. <laughs> what do you mean? Torre, have you not seen the president of the United States this week lose his ever-loving mind? He loses his mind every week. No, What's the difference? No, this is different. This is, this is beyond the tweet storms of the weekend. The man is using the word bullshit in all capital letters. He is calling Adam Schiff, shifty Adam Schiff, and saying he needs to uh, be investigated for treason. He is in full meltdown. I think the impeachment threat, quickly moving toward impeachment reality, is adding a level of pressure on him that we haven't quite seen. You wonder if there will be any substantive response. I keep waiting for him to try to drop a bomb on a country to focus us on that. We're getting there. He has been toying around with bombing Iran for like weeks now. We are in full meltdown, wag the dog situation. They're going to pull every single punch that they can in order to keep this president in office. And he is losing it. He's in meltdown. The country's in meltdown. I don't know how—and you're a parent. How do you talk to your kids about Donald Trump? How do you talk to them about the president of the United States when he's tweeting obscenities, bullying other like members <sighs> of Congress? Like, what do you what do you say to them? I mean, this is normal? This is I good mean, behavior? We have long established within our house that Trump is a horrible person. <laughs> so the kids understand the things that he does are the things you're not supposed to do. Okay. So we don't have to further say this also, like it's just already associated, like Trump is a terrible person and the things that he does. But how did you tell them that this terrible person who is mean, who is a bastard, Mm. became president of the United States? When you tell kids, because I was a former early childhood educator, a teacher. You were also a child. And I was also a child. And I was told (laughs) that like— you get rewarded for good. Good people get rewarded. That you need to speak with people with kindness, with uh, with appreciation and have gratitude, all of these things. How do you teach that? Tell kids don't bully. Tell kids, like, you know, to be upstanding when this is their fucking model right now. You also think about, we tell kids, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. And uh-huh. there's no other way besides working hard. And 
That and a million dollars from your daddy. Do you have a million dollars? Uh, no, well, it's actually <laughs> like 400 million, but mm. you know. But I mean, like, there is no better poster child for failing up, right? Like, <laughs> four or six bankruptcies. I've lost yeah. track of how many it was. Yeah. Tons of help from dad, tons of failed businesses. Yep. And he continues to just fail up. Fail and you up. know, let us not forget that there is an entire party mm-hmm. that is co-signing this behavior. Co-signing. That is silent in the face of horror. I mean, we just found out that he said, hey, guys, maybe we should shoot immigrants in the legs as they try to crawl. I'm sorry, what? He said that in a meeting. Oh, you missed that one? Oh, I missed that. There's so much. There's too much. That There's you can't, too much. I mean, it's drinking from a fire hose. Yes. No, he, there was a, there's a new book that's just come out. Uh-huh. He was in a meeting. Multiple people who were in the meeting said he Oh, these said, are the New York Times authors he's railing against. Yes. Got that it. we should shoot immigrants in the legs as they're running. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. (laughs) You're speechless. Okay. I mean, the depth of the heartlessness and the cruelty from this person and how Mm. he can think about other people with such otherization. They are not human to him. No. Which is why he's able to talk about them and treat them this way. Right. Which is why he began off his campaign talking about rapists and murderers. He has called... Uh, migrants seeking asylum, uh, animals. Uh, mm-hmm. He's put children in cages. Seven children have died under his watch. I, I it, it is, there is no bottom here. No. Every day, no. every moment that I think like, oh, this is it, you no. know, because once you hit bottom, there's no place to go but up. Oh, we still haven't hit. We have not hit. We're in a free fucking fall. And I don't want people to say, hey, this is the way it's been since day one. Like, get with Mm-mm. the program. Like, we have been following every step of this Trump story. 
And I refuse to allow myself to become numb and normalize this behavior and say, well, that's just the way he is because then that is giving into the chaos. I don't want to be, what is that, a dog that's sitting there saying Mm -hmm. this is fine? Yeah. I I will continue to be like, no, this is insane. No. As as we've been used to insanity every single day, Mm -hmm. it's still insane. It's crazy. I I never would have thought the president of the United States would be on Twitter, on television, cursing. I never thought that he would be caught. Like, and essentially, these attacks, right, these Twitter attacks against people, they're not to be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. Cesar Sayoc was the mail bomber, the man who was a Trump supporter who mailed 13 bombs to all of Donald Trump's political opponents and to CNN following Donald Trump railing against CNN and railing against the Obamas and railing against the Clintons. He is signaling to these people he is ready for them to incite violence. He's ready for it. Tweeting about a civil war this past I mean, come on. It's, yeah, we're we're in, this is mayhem. We're in mayhem. We are in cuckoo land. And over on the Democratic side... There's a problem. We got a big problem. There's a problem. There is a problem. Bernie Sanders has some significant heart issue to where he's taking a little break, canceling events. We'll see how far, how long away this takes him from the campaign. We agree that surely the Sanders campaign is not telling us the full extent of what's going on. No, I don't think that they are. What we know is that Bernie Sanders is in the hospital. What we know is that he was not feeling well. He's had not one but two stints put in his heart. Stints are put there in order to relieve blockages, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're not calling it a heart attack, but this there is no time for any candidate to take time off of the campaign trail. Yeah. And we have our next debate coming up in just a few short weeks. People who aren't as old as Bernie Sanders are told to take a month off after having a procedure like this. This man is in his late 70s. He's healthy by all other accounts, but let's be real about what happens when you start to have medical issues when you're at this age. It's 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 a lot more serious, you know? Um, so I, I worry for him, his health, uh, but I also, I, I worry for his campaign. Yeah, I mean, you would rather not see this decided in this way. Sort of like, you know, we're having a good game and then Mm -hmm. somebody gets injured and like, well, then, you know, that's the. But this happens to older people. Yes. And this is one percent of why we're saying let's try somebody a little younger, a little fresher, a little newer. Um, You know, I can't imagine that this doesn't cause some Bernie people to leave. And obviously the base is not going to abandon him. Mm -hmm. That's why Mm -hmm. they're the base. But 100% of Bernie supporters are not in his base. No. And if even a tenth, he's in solidly in third place Mm -hmm. and trailing a little, not a close third place. So even if he loses one out of ten of his voters— who were like, I like what Bernie is selling, and my son, my nephew, my cousin are super passionate about him. So I, I'll tell pollsters, I like. Now they're like, he, who knows, he may not live exactly. to exactly this. Is, and we know essentially by what is happening right now with Trump's meltdown, by what's happening, you know, with the impeachment inquiry. These things, this political climate is only ramping up. 
it is going to be exhausted. We still have, you know, 390 plus days mm. until Election Day. Um, and, you know, we have 100 plus days until the until Iowa caucus. Right. Um, until we begin the slow march to Super Tuesday. So um, I this is this is troubling and it should trouble people. It, these are the questions that were being asked about Biden, about Bernie. Are they too old? Right. By the time that they head into, if they are elected their first term, you're talking about being damn near 80 years old. Right. That's not young. No. <laughs> That's it's not, and I and I have joked, we've joked on here where I've said that Biden and Bernie are relatively the same age yeah. and Bernie has a lot more fire. A lot more passion, a lot more energy than we have seen Biden exhibit. So now yes. I worry that people who have been concerned about Biden over the past several weeks are now going to look at Bernie and be like, ooh, maybe everybody was right, to your point. Maybe we do need somebody younger and fresher with the vitality to be able to take Trump to the mat and go all the way with this election. I mean, in one way, Bernie seems indefatigable and mm -hmm. steely and strong. And if I could imagine anybody ripping the tube out of their <laughs> arm and grabbing an ill-fitting suit and, and no comb, no comb <laughs> and rushing to the debate and showing up and shining, Bernie could pull that off. Yes. At the same time, he seems very old already. I, I hear <laughs> an older man saying, get off my lawn, kid. Yeah. And his ticker telling us, hey, I am really old. I've and beat I'm a lot tired. of times. Right. I mean, like, it's it's troubling. It's concerning. You wonder where this goes and like, you know, what this means in a general election context, what this mm -hmm. means, God forbid he were elected and then something were to happen. <sighs> I'm concerned. I, I, and I, I think am, we should be. I am very concerned. And I wonder where do disaffected Bernie voters go? So that is the real question at hand right now. Because I have seen, you know, we've been watching Elizabeth Warren on the steady rise, right? For the first time uh, in the latest Iowa caucus polls, she actually has pulled ahead mm -hmm. of Joe Biden. So putting her at number one, putting Biden at number two, and to your point, Bernie Sanders at kind of like a distant third. Her and Bernie have a lot of similar policies. They have also what has seemed to be an unspoken pact that they have had uh, in the past couple of debates where they're not attacking each other. Um, right, right, because I think that right. they realize that they share an audience, that they share a base. Um, so for Elizabeth Warren, if folks, the people that you're talking about, are kind of saying to themselves, maybe he's a little too old and maybe he may not, you know, make it the 300 and some odd days until Election Day. Elizabeth Warren, however— shares the same ideology. She's not a democratic socialist, but she's the only other liberal, like yeah. real progressive liberal uh, on the stage. Maybe she's the better choice. And I think that even though it is unfortunate, I think if Bernie doesn't make it to the debate stage in a couple of weeks, I think we see Elizabeth Warren get a significant I mean, bump. If Bernie can't debate, that would be devastating. Yeah. And I'm not sure how you recover from that when you're already 
in a hole mm -hmm. and fighting to uh, push upward. And it's too bad because Bernie is a huge uh, influence on the current Democratic Party and the leftward lurch that we have seen. And he is a candidate of extraordinary honesty. Yes. I believe everything he says. I was a Hillary person last time mm -hmm. from day one. I remember the Brooklyn debate when the you know when the first time I really clued in on Bernie and I was like, "Wow, I'm with Hillary and I believe every word that he says and I believe that he believes every word that he yeah. says." And I don't always feel that with politicians. I accept a certain amount of triangulation and they are saying what they know they're supposed to say and I don't believe Bernie does that. And I find that incredibly refreshing. I want that in a president. Yeah. I want that in a politician. But this is difficult. I, I believe also that Elizabeth Warren is like that. I don't believe I, that she says the thing that she's supposed to say. I, I think that the both of them, the reason why they have um, such a chemistry, right? There's a chemistry about them, a connectivity that they're fans, that they're that the people that support them outright like feel that connection and that vibe with them because they are extraordinarily authentic. This was, you know, for Bernie Sanders back in the 2016, you know, election cycle, that was the stark contrast to Hillary Clinton, right. who we know would not take a breath, would not, you know, put a hair out of place without reading the polls, right. you know, without right. doing a focus group around it, which right. took a lot of her authenticity. The Hillary Clinton that I see now on Twitter, I'm like, bitch, where were you? I love her. Where were you? I love you. That That's great. This, mean, we, you're funny. We constantly had people saying, in private, Hillary is funny. She's relaxed. She's loose. And then she gets on and stage. And then she gets and... on. She's like, you put the microphone in front of her and she became, you know, some type of, like, political Stepford wife. But this is part of the problem with the entire system, that the, yeah. where the system has developed to, Hillary would have been, could have been a great president. Yes. But. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This campaign, the test of the campaign, was not a good test for her. We are testing for one thing, and then when you get to be president, you're asked to do something else. Right. And that is problematic. And if we were to do things like 
public financing, shorter campaigns, uh, a much broader electorate able to vote slash forced to vote per Australia, where voting is mandated, it would change the nature of campaigning, right? Change the debate structure. You're like, yeah. please explain your complex health system five seconds ago. And, and your time is up. I mean, like all of that yeah. could lead to a campaign conversation that is more effective for voters. But then to right, they no one would make money. <laughs> and isn't that the most important thing? I mean, we could it's do not it. really securing our democracy. We isn't it, it so like companies and 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 pollsters and this person and that person can make money? Well, why is it that the DNC in this for in this particular instance, the DNC is the one who has debates to sell. Why do they have to sell them to MSNBC and CNN and why couldn't they put them on a PBS or something? And all good questions, right? And or and you know, let somebody else host the debate, and we're going to restructure it. Or why does MSNBC have to copy what CNN did, or vice versa? Why can't somebody say, "Hey, let's do a debate in an entirely different way"? Because for them, if it ain't broke, then don't fix it. Well, I think part of the problem is also is that the candidates are shaping what they want. And this structure protects a lot of candidates from having to say too much. I like the town hall format. Where I love the town hall format. Real voters are talking to you directly. And you have to and, answer their questions. And you have and three minutes to answer the question. In two or three minutes, you can talk and we can see like if you really care, if you really know what you're talking about. I just wish that we would be in a place, and maybe this is just me being wishy-washy, that you know, the best candidate with the best ideas would win, not the one with the most money. Like, we're closing a fundraising, you know, just closed the, the fundraising quarter uh, just now. Bernie Sanders, out of the out of the block, with the most money raised. I think he raised something like $25 million. And the most donors by and the far. Most, and the most donors by far because of the, you know, the, the ground game that he put together uh, back in 2016. You know, you had Cory Booker essentially begging people for a dollar— you know, I love Cory Booker, but my my man was out there with a the hand out talking about help me get to one point seven million um, and then we can do something together. You know, so you have all these people essentially hustling. Right. Like a street corner hustler. Every day. Every day I'm hustling, trying to make, you know, a dollar out of 15 cents in order to stay in the race. The squirrel trying to get a nut. (laughs) I just wish I wish that that wasn't the case, that it wasn't money that was going to be, you know, what proves that you're a good candidate. Public financing would radically change the race. And part of what a lot of people may not understand is that the current system is constructed in a way where the wealthy have an overarching amount of control of the system, Mm -hmm. which leads to policy that enriches the wealthy, which gives the wealthy even more control over the system, which leads to further enriching them through policy Mm -hmm. and legislation and on and on, increasing the wealth gap further and further to where you have the Sackler family Mm. who is – Find was it three billion dollars, mm-hmm. and they're still good. Oh, they're totally fine. The Waltons make five million dollars an hour. I mean, uh, what's his face? Mark Zuckerberg was fined. He was fined like two billion dollars. 
He's good. How do you get fined billions, billions of dollars and, and it you're doesn't good. and you're good? It doesn't change. I'm still super wealthy. Like super super wealthy when a majority of Americans couldn't pay a $400 bill that came up right now out of nowhere mm. would put you in debt, mm. right? Come if on. you if somebody fall if somebody falls down on the job oh, and it. now has to go to the hospital, God forbid they go there by ambulance because most people are taking Ubers right? because when they get the check back, right? When they get the bill back that says, "Oh my God, oh you know that emergency you know ambulance. vehicle that you call? Oh yeah, that was about twelve thousand dollars <sighs> to get you fifteen minutes down the road to the hospital, and then by the time you get out of there, they might as well just have a clock running with your fucking tab." <laughs> Because that's how much it costs. So when you look at these people, these multi-billionaires that are essentially, our democracy is like a chess game for them. They're just moving pieces on the board. It doesn't matter. Which is why I love Elizabeth Warren. Tell me about it, Torre. She's one of the candidates (laughs) who are really talking about class welfare, Mm -hmm. talking about dealing with wealth inequality, talking about public financing, right? Talking about systems, right? Not people and small things, Mm -hmm. but she has the 4,000-foot view looking at the systems that are shaping the world. She comes from creating the Consumer Protection Board. This is a person who truly cares about people. And it sounds so mawkish almost to say that, but most politicians don't really care about people who don't have their own name. Correct. This is a person who truly cares about people and is in it to make a difference for people, especially on an economic plane. She's talking about free college Mm -hmm. at $15 an hour minimum wage. Yep. Those two changes alone would have a massive impact on the black working class. Not to say say nothing of the white working class, but we focus on black and brown voters here and like black and brown voters Mm -hmm. would see – so much of it, and non-voters would see a massive change from raising the minimum wage to $15, free college. I mean, within one or two generations, we'd see a significant difference in this country. I mean, we have looked, you know, just recently, we have had some very uh, wealthy people show up on college campuses um, and and wipe out debt. We saw that just happen at, with Robert Morehouse, Smith. with Robert Smith and Morehouse. And we, we look at, sometimes we look at the economic instability that has been created by Wall Street that has been created by massive greed, and we think that charity is going to fix it, right? Like, I love what Robert Smith did because I think that we should follow that class of Morehouse graduates for the next 10, 15, 20 years and see what they have been able to develop, do the risks in business that they have been able to take without having this leash of debt attached to them. But Elizabeth Warren creates— just even the peace of mind that you have. Exactly. And and, And he came back, and he's also doing it for their parents. Whoa. Do you know what I'm saying? So these people, like Elizabeth Warren, like Robinson, they understand what economic instability does to communities, what it does to generations of people. And I, it, it is mind-blowing to me still that a majority of older black people are still in Biden's corner oh. when literally you just said, do you know how life-changing $15 minimum wage and— debt-free college would be for the black community. So tell me again, what is Joe Biden offering y'all? I don't know. Is he? Does he have a secret reparations plan that I didn't hear about? I don't know. He's not done anything to, to, to earn 
massive support from black and brown people. However, if we look into those racial breakdown numbers, yes, we see why Elizabeth Warren is surging of late. Because mm-hmm. in the overall race, Elizabeth Warren is right on Joe Biden's heels. Yes. And among white Democratic voters, it's a basic tie between them. The last poll had Warren 28, Biden 27. That's mm-hmm. within, the mar- within the margin within, of error. Yep. Among Latinx voters, Warren had 29, Sanders had 25, Biden had 23. That is very close to the margin mm-hmm. of error. Mm-hmm. Okay. Among black voters, Biden continues to have 49%. But now suddenly we see Elizabeth Warren at 13% moving upward. That is upward. This is why she's getting closer to him because she's the only other candidate that's getting a significant portion of black voters. You see Kamala Harris right behind her at 10, Bernie at five among black voters. So Kamala Harris getting some attention, Mm -hmm. but Elizabeth Warren suddenly starting to show up for black voters or at least black voters starting to show up for her. And if she can, she doesn't need to overtake Biden with black voters. No. But if she can she get to, to a, be competitive. competitive, if she can get to a 20 or one out of and five. And I think that she will with the below 50 set. I think that young. But they love I Bernie. Think that they love Bernie. But I think that Elizabeth Warren is starting to seem incredibly viable. Right. Yeah. And if she continues with this message of debt-free college, of raising the moon, uh, raising the minimum wage, about taking on Wall Street, about defending the little guy, about economic stability, I think that younger black folks are going to start to look at her in a so. real significant way. I would hope so. I mean, I, what I've seen, part of what I've seen from Elizabeth Warren is a dedicated campaigner. Yes. Who cares about people so she will stand there and hug and shake and kiss babies and i mean retail campaigning she's killing it it is extremely important it is not to be overlooked it is not like oh that's just no it's extremely when you shake somebody's hand and you look them in the eye and you Mm -hmm. have a 60 second conversation with them you can have a deep connection i mean shit man i remember I ran into an anchor from Sports Center mm-hmm. 15 years ago in the airport, Linda Cohn. And she didn't know who I was, but we had a nice conversation for about four minutes. And whenever I see her, I'm like, on TV, I'm like, I like her because she was nice to me for four minutes. She didn't have to stop in the airport and talk to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I told her, I, I had just written a story on Jay Z, and I said, Jay Z told me that you're one of his favorite Sports Center anchors. And then we talked about that and a couple other things. That just a moment of conversation and connection locks you into a person. Linda and, Cohn's not even asking me for my vote, and I still you love her. Begin to become to evangelize yes. that person. Yes. That's that's why retail politics are so important. That's why the Iowa caucuses are so important. Mm, because the more that you personal. connect with people, it becomes personal for them. And then all of a sudden, based on that selfie, that handshake, that 60-second conversation or four-minute conversation, all of a sudden you have now become an evangelist yeah. for that person. I mean, this, right? is, this is part of why— it is a good idea to have small states be some of the first to go because you can meet 
almost everybody in Iowa, right? <laughs> you can knock on almost every door in New Hampshire, right? You couldn't even hope to do that in a New York and a Florida and a Texas, right? Even in a medium-sized state, you couldn't hope to do that. Yeah, isn't Brooklyn bigger than Iowa? Right. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's so that. there's So there's some value in that, that these people who met, mo- most of them met one of the candidates in this period, mm-hmm. They have decided we like so. I would put some weight in that, even though I would like to see it move around a little bit, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. But black and brown voters are slowly sliding toward the Warren camp, and I think that that's a good thing. I agree because she is. So I want to see. I think them. that you're right. I don't think that she's not going to get into the 40s. Okay, like she's not with with, with black no, folks. I no. I I don't think that. But I mean, if we see her number go to 20, be in the 20s, be I think the Biden campaign then needs to be extremely worried. Well, if she's moving toward a low 20 and that pulls him back to a low 40 or a high 30, he's in a lot of trouble. He's in a lot of trouble. But look, Elizabeth Warren is a fantastic communicator. She's mm-hmm. a politician of great passion. She not only cares about people, she seems to truly care about the ideas that she is fashioning. Mm-hmm. She is brilliant. She's logical. She's sober. She is a true progressive. And she is offering the country something that we have not had for three plus years, which is a sanity. leader of sanity and dignity. Yes. And we're going to need somebody who's able to pull the country back together. I keep saying that we're going to need a woman. We're going to need a healer. And let me just state again, for the record, Donald Trump is heading towards like a significant meltdown bender. Okay? We don't know if the outcome of that is going to be war. We don't know if it's going to be war with Iran, if it's going to be a civil war, what it's going to be, but it's going to be bad. So the next person that steps into that Oval Office, right, needs to have a significant plan and vision on how to bring the country together. And it cannot just be kumbaya, we slayed the dragon and he's gone. Because the all, country. Because all of his sycophants, all of his followers yeah. will be rabid yeah. at that moment in time. And so who is going to be able to do that on top of everybody else's plans? And we know Elizabeth Warren legit has a plan for everything. On top of everybody else's plans, we also need to be really focused on who is going to dig us out of the sewer that Donald Trump has brought us into. Yeah. And it's not a one-day fix. No. Trumpism is not going away quickly. No. It's going to have to be an ongoing hug for the country. Yeah. Hugs and sage. (laughs) That's what we're offering. Thoughts and prayers. Thanks for listening to Democracy Ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody Mills. And we'll be back next week if there's still a country. If there's still, here's hoping. 